You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast, episode 47, and I am your host, Pimpcron. What do we have here for you tonight? Well, we have a Want That or Want That Not with Cron Jr. and I, and we discuss the new, I'm not even going to try to say her name, Adeptus Sororitas Lady, the Adeptus Sororitas Canonist, whatever her name is, Lady, that's the first plastic sister of battle, supposedly, in this new line. We discuss whether or not we like that. We also have a real talk with Just James and the Pimpcron discussing... What are we discussing? I don't even know what we're discussing. We're discussing tactics deep striking. That's right. And uh, I find that to be a fascinating topic. A lot of people mess up their deep striking. A lot of people don't know how to deep strike. And that's all going to be remedied if you just listen to our segment. So you go do that. It's good for your health. And we also have a, well, here's an idea with just myself where I discuss the possibility and ramifications of having a damage phase at the end of each gaming turn similar to Apocalypse. And I mean in regular 40k. So that is what's going on. What am I going on about this week? What have I been doing? Well, let me let me step back for a second and think. My free time has been mostly work, and an article, and this podcast. What have I done for fun? Uh, Just James and I recorded all of the information for the first purely auditory battle report. And we're going to see if we can pull that off. As soon as I get the you know minor sound effects, and as, far, as soon as I write the narrative story behind it and all that... Um, I'm going to be putting that on one of these podcasts to see if anybody likes it. If they like it, then we have three more missions planned in the campaign for this one particular character. And we'll see. He made some amazing charge rolls as chaos against the orcs. And that really did shake things up and it really did swing the game in a major way. When you roll a 11 for one charge roll and a 12 for another charge roll, that you're going to mess somebody up is what's going to happen. And uh, so that's actually going to make a really interesting story. I am at, I think, 33 or 34% done with the novel. And that's like 26,000-ish. It's roughly 100 pages, like 100 novel pages. I'm done. And as far as hobby stuff goes, I've been painting a bunch of Tomb King's chariots. So that's exciting. I've got six of them, and I've I've primed them all, I've assembled them all, blah, blah, blah. And I have two of them fully painted, and I have a third one to paint in that squad. And I'm going to do um, the three that I'm painting right now. The prominent, predominant color is pink, because the color scheme I chose for my Tomb Kings, I wanted to do something way wacky and off the wall. So I decided on uh, Brass, Scorp- Brass Scorpion? No, Screaming Bell. Screaming Bell is the metallic, and of course they have the bone color. It's Ushabti with Griffin Sepia on it, or Seraphin Sepia. And then my spot colors are sky blue, pink, and white. And that sounds terrible, I understand. It's actually really, really nice. It, it, it paid off. 
So um, I was surprised at how much I do like that paint scheme, even though I was trying to think of the most ridiculous paint scheme possible. So I uh, I have one squad. I'm almost finished of the chariots. They're going to be predominantly pink with blue and white as the accent colors. And then the other three will be pro- predominantly blue with white and pink as the accent colors. Uh, I also bought some sand that I'm going to be basing the entire army in. And... That is about it. As far as the basing for my Tomb Kings, what I've been doing is I bought one of the packages of skulls from our local store. I bought it months ago, but um, I've been putting skulls on their bases, just scattered, and then I'm putting all the sand around it like there's skulls coming out of the sand. It's it's okay. It's pretty good. And I think that is it for my week. So let's do this thing. Want that, or want that not? And in this edition of Want That or Want That Not, I'm joined by Kron Jr. How are you doing, my offspring? Um, I'm doing very fine. (laughs) And, uh, what are we covering today? Can you even say this? Sister Superior Amalia Novena Unana. (laughs) Half of my heart is in Novena Unana. Um, so this is a new Sister of Battle model. It's plastic, right? Oh. And uh, Sisters of Battle have not had uh, new models for a long time. So everyone's super, super psyched about this. Now, do you think this is a good model? Does this Is this appealing to you at all? Yes. I think it's very, um, well, um, detailed. You know, she does have a lot of detail to her. All those studs on her corset. Yeah. And she's got those, um, those, uh, I forget what they're called. Flor- um, Florida lease. Emblems? Yeah, but those, those little four-pointed, Yeah. I think they're called Florida lease is what they're called. And, um, I mean, even the little thing underneath her knee there, she's got little, yeah. like, it's, it's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Um, what do you think of her basing? I think of her basing, as you first showed me the image, for a split second I thought she was standing on top of a gray birthday cake. <laughs> it's even got candles. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does look like she's on a birthday cake. Um, boy, wouldn't that be cool? You know how on a wedding cake they have yeah. toppers yeah. for the bride and groom? Yeah, you literally just put that on. Put that on for the woman and, yeah. and put a um, space marine on. or uh, Yeah, it's, that's pretty funny. Um, now, you know, this is actually based off of, uh, artwork. It's very iconic artwork that everybody basically can recognize. And it's this picture right here. And she looks like a tough lady. She very well does. Yeah. And, um, this is just one of those images. I think it's in my fourth edition rule book is the image for Sisters of Battle. And this is it. And it's just, it's just stands out for some reason. You know, Sisters of Battle are... The tough ladies of the galaxy sort of thing. Yeah. And, um... I, I have to admit, the model has just way more decorations than the picture does. Yeah, so, I mean, it could make it a little bit of a pain to paint. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, this is... I think what they're going for this is it says, you know, lead your squads of sisters to battle with this model. Slay the Emperor's foes with faith and fury based on iconic um, artwork. And I think what they're really going for... I don't know if she's an HQ or not, like a leader... Yeah. But she does have a ton of detail on her. So I think being that it's like their first plastic model they've come out with, 
that it's like a centerpiece model. That you paint this and it's like a, a big deal for your army. It must be like have awesome power-ups for your other sisters of battle. Maybe. Like I said, I don't know if she's an HQ or not. Sister Superior. Oh, Sister Superior. Ah, oh, man. I don't, I don't, I'm not up on all my rankings. How about, how about you just look it up? <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That would take work. So. What do you mean? <laughs> you just click Google. And all right. Say- you know what? I don't need this out of you. Fine. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. And we're back. So, um, because I'm being browbeat by my son <laughs> <laughs> about my lazy research, uh, we actually looked it up, and a sister superior is the equivalent to a sergeant, which, by the way, is what I was going to say, is I thought it was a squad leader. Are you sure? Positive. <laughs> I don't believe that. All right, well, anyway, this is a pretty cool model. Um, now, do you have any interest in Sisters of Battle at all? Um, do you think they look cool? I think they look quite fine. I mean, I don't play the game very much, so... Well, not 40k, yeah. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like, a, a whole army full of tough ladies... Yeah. I would just like to see her model printed all over and over again with, like, um, figures of her, like, dabbing and other things. Why? I don't know. Why? It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> That is weird. That's why we have fan artwork, Cron Jr., okay? That's what. That's why deviant art exists, is for you to have all the pictures of a Sister Superior dabbing that you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, do you like this model? Um, yeah, it's very tough looking, and I like the birthday cake, and... <laughs> Dude, she's six years old. She's got six candles. Look at that. That's sweet. They even put roses on it. Wow. For six years old, it would be amazing to have white hair. Dude, wouldn't it be awesome to um, dress up one of your sisters as a, as a uh, sister of battle for Halloween? Get her a white wig? That'd be awesome. So anyway, that is definitely, I want that for me. Um, I think I'll probably be starting a sisters of battle army when they actually come out. Um, and you like it too, right? Yeah. I think they did a great job of transferring it from the artwork here to the actual model. Um, of course, it's hard to do when the model's this big. But anyway, that is a want that and a pretty much want that, want right? Want that, yeah. <laughs> from both of the crons. Now, here's an idea. Hey, it's the Pimp Cron here, and it's time for, well, here's an idea. Just James has been telling me all about Apocalypse and the new roles that are going to be coming out. He's been watching videos and playthroughs and things like that. And he has mentioned how damage is its own phase at the end of each game turn. Now, it's possible he's wrong with that, and it's possible that I misunderstood what he said if he's not wrong. But what I meant to say is that I really think that Maybe we should take another look at when damage is dealt in regular Warhammer, regular 40k. Because, you know, alpha striking wouldn't be that big of a deal if you were just to count how many wounds that you took at the end of the turn, or during the turn, and then resolve all of it at the end of the game turn. Now, that would actually be an interesting idea. Because, you know, like I said, alpha striking and whatnot, you're 
the the main issue with this game is that it is obviously turn-based and as much as I love turn-based games they don't exactly show the flux of battle or the give and take of battle because obviously you know I don't even need to say this but in real life people don't stop and wait their turn to shoot at the other people so I was thinking that even though it would be a little more uh, accounting, a little bit of upkeep, things like that, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You resolve all the hits and wounds and all of that, and you just put a dice next to the unit, and this is how many wounds they took. Now, part of the issue is that wounds don't spill over from model to model. So I guess you'd have to say, like, you know, put a dice next to each unit that says, oh, this is how many models have been removed, or whatever, and a different color dice for, you know, if one of them has a couple wounds left or something. Um, I, I completely understand that, but it is very interesting to think that you have your turn, you shoot at me, and I take casualties, but I don't actually resolve the casualties until the end of the game turn. So then I get to shoot back with those technically dead units, and assault with those dead units, and do psychic powers with those dead units. It's it's very... I don't know. The, the moment he told me about that, I was like, wow, you know, we always talk, or at least... I don't for Warhammer, but people do complain about, oh, there's no uh, I go, you go sort of thing, you know, like skirmish games, like that amazing game brutality. And, you know, it's it's basically I do all my stuff, you do all your stuff. But obviously that's so one-sided that one person is getting punished before they even get to activate. And it's very, I don't know. Like I said, other than the bookkeeping, other than the dice, it really wouldn't change the game that much. Except for the fact that it would be more brutal all the way around. Because you shoot me in your turn, and I take casualties, but those dead people are not dead yet until the damage phase of the game turn. So then I can shoot you, assault you, blah blah blah. And I, all those people that are dead can still attack, which is dealing more casualties to you. And I think it's better simulating the chaos of war and all of that. So it would be interesting. I'm sure I could convince Just James to try this in a regular 40k game. And honestly, it might fix a lot of things. And, hmm. I don't know. What about we'll be back? I guess we'll be back would be... Well, no, it's still... So damage still resolves at the end of the game turn. And then the very following turn when it's my player turn, can I say turn any more times in the sentence? When it's my player turn, I would still get my reanimations. So, I honestly, besides a couple dice, and besides being the game, making the game more brutal, I really don't see what the big deal is with making a damage phase at the end of each game turn. It's very, very intriguing. So, mull that around, and shoot me an email if you feel so inclined. Um, pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or of course call into the hotline which nobody does i've got uh i've got that phone over there in the corner it's collecting dust it's covered in cobwebs so somebody call in i think i think grendel might have been the last person to call in it's been it's been a long time but anyway so i'm gonna try to convince just james to try this with me on one of our games and see exactly what happens toodles 
Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. Welcome to another edition of Real Talk with the Pimp Kron. Today I'm joined with Mr. Just James. Hello, Mr. Just James. Hello. And we wanted to talk about... What was it? It was deep striking. Oh, deep striking. Yes, yes. The uh, striking of the deep. Striking of the deep. Uh, it's like I can't come up with a joke. Oh well. There's that song. Uh, Rolling in the deep. No, 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 striking in the deep. <laughs> striking. Which is also the same as the uh, porn title. <laughs> striking. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot to be said about deep striking, and what do you want to say about? It? Uh, it's great. Yeah. Everybody should deep strike. Uh, I wish uh, I could deep strike all of my units. Yeah, because essentially you just really hate deploying, right? Correct. I wish we went back to uh, 5th edition. 5th edition uh, demons. Oh, where, was it, half? Half. (laughs) Yeah, you had to split it in half and then one half could deep strike. And And it was like on a three up, it was was the one that you wanted? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was a weird mechanic. So when you put a unit in reserves for deep strike in the beginning of a game, Mr. James, what are the reasons why you do it? What are the strategies in your head? Uh, so for the first off, the uh, the first one uh-huh. is... That's how we say it. <laughs> is a psychological uh, against your your opponent. Your opponent was like, well, where, what's he gonna, where is he going to put those uh, people that are deep striking? So in a lot of ways, it almost seems like it's it causes your opponent to be more reserved with their movement. Right. They'll have to spread out their whole units to uh, try to block you from deep striking in. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're lower model count. I mean, if they're like hordes of Tyranids or something, it's not a, as big of a deal. But um, I think you, you're definitely right. There's a definite... Um, it hadn't really occurred to me that there's a psychological aspect to it, but there really is. Yeah. Um, I kind of freeze a little bit in my forward motion when someone's got deep strikers. Like, oh, yeah, you got deep strikers. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't care that much about it. But uh, so, what's another reason why you might deep strike? Uh, so they might have a character that you could get to easily. Uh, they may have like stuck them behind people without realizing that. Boom! Tough acting connecting. <laughs> You're right there. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things I like to do with my, uh, Militarum Tempestus, or, um, uh, D- Dark Eldar, uh... The Y-Way Portal? Well, yeah, but, um, the Scourges. Oh. Scourges, you can, um, or, uh, actually, Cavalites can take quite a few, uh, special weapons, too, right? In a small squad? Two? Um, two. Yes. Yeah, so... That's, um, I like to, I often will target, like, a tank or something like that. Something that will degrade, and then you plop them down, light them up as best you can. Yeah. Um, and if you're taking the Webway Portal or whatever, uh, for Dark Eldar, you know, bring an HQ along with them, give them a blaster pistol or whatever, 
And then, of course, they're getting the buff from the leader as well. Right. So they can be like a really precision scalpel attack, you know? Of course, you know it's a suicide mission too, though, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, with my Molotarum Tempestus, um, it's not always a suicide mission. Like, I've thrown them down before, and I'm like, well, they're dead after they blow their load. (laughs) And then, then, oh, shit, they survived the whole game. Like, it was, you know, I guess because there was other things coming. And the person, that's, once again, the psychological aspect of it. Is you're like, okay, before they drop down, you're like, where are they going? And afterwards, you're like, okay, well, I got this small thing right next to me or I have all this other stuff coming my way, which one's more of a threat? Am I going to focus all my fire on this little thing close by or all the other nasty stuff coming at me? And um, sometimes, like in that case, they ignore your small thing and you get to shoot again and again and again. You're like a a splinter in their side, you know? Yeah. So, um, of course, you know, last minute uh, objective grabs and things like that, uh, you can, Deep Strikers can only come down on turn two or three, right? Because if it's the start of turn four, they're dead. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, turn three, I mean, what if you take another, I'm pretty positive. I don't think they can come down on turn four. Yeah, it's, on, it's two or three. Yeah. Um, so, uh, once again, that scalpel precision thing, um, what were you thinking about doing with Nurglings? Oh, yeah. Uh, take a little squad of Nurglings, which is three of them. Try to deep strike them and hide them so they're not being shot at and then like close to a deep striking close to a vehicle uh-huh. and then you know hopefully you won't get overwatch hopefully you can find a piece of terrain that you won't be seen and even if you are overwatch hopefully you don't lose uh, all of them essentially and charge in and just tie up that that vehicle for a turn Lehman Russ or whatever it is yeah I mean don't don't be doing that against a punisher but no <laughs> but uh if it's a battle tank or something like that oh, i'll get my d6 shots or whatever it is uh so that's that's actually a pretty good idea to tie up vehicles that way um of course there's always the objective grabbing at the on turn three as well you you know your opponent doesn't know where they're where they're going to be deep striking and then come turn three you can kind of feel out the board like whether this end is weaker or that end's weaker and then plop them down in a building or hide them or somewhere like you said where they're like within arm's reach of the objective, but they're not going to be shot to crap. And, you know, they can kind of wait it out. And I'm talking about a small squad of something, like Nurglings. If you were to deep strike, you know, three Nurgling groups or something, that would be, you know, just throwing a, throw them in buildings and nobody's going to target those stupid Nurglings. But at the end, they're objective secured. Yep. And <laughs> so, um, that's pretty awesome. Is this still a thing where uh, objective secured units give their transport objective secured? I think it no. is. It's not? No, because when they're in the transport, they're not actually on the board. Oh. Maybe I'm thinking of a previous edition. Oh, and also, yeah, uh, so that was like dedicated transports. Oh. Uh, You could, you know, just say that they're a dedicated transport, and that would give them their keyword, their, or not keyword, their troops. Oh, their slot, yeah. Yeah, but now there's a dedicated battlefield role. So, um... What is a strategy that you would use for deep striking? Like when you're okay, so fine. You've you've chose to deep strike a unit, right? And obviously they have different roles. Like if you're gonna blow up a tank or take an objective or whatever. But what do you do when you deep strike? How are you making that choice exactly where you should deep strike? Is the opponent's backfield your primary target or what? Uh, yeah. Usually when I deep strike, I'm in their backfield. And I I find that's pretty effective in screwing them up, taking them off balance. Yeah. And all of that. 
And then if you do that, you hopefully want to go for the center, uh, uh, either right on their board edge, you know, where uh, the nine inches, if they have you blocked off that way, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if you can, like, right in the actual center of their uh, deployment zone. That way you can go left or you can go right. I was going to say, why would you do that, James? Because so many people don't do that. Yeah. Um, but you're exactly right because you want uh, you want range enough that okay if the left side suddenly doesn't isn't an option anymore you can go right or you can go whatever if you put them in the middle in the very far corner they got nowhere to go it's so easy to run away from something like that but if you deep strike right in the middle then they have to go both ways away from you yes and that's gonna really it's kind of like um uh, what's that old trick oil and water or whatever you put you put like sprinkle pepper on a bowl. And you add a drop of oil, oh. and it like separates them. Yeah, and runs around the edges. Yeah, uh, it's like a science fair project, but um, uh, that sort of thing. You're you're actually like wedging their whole army in two. Um, so that's pretty cool. Like just the other day, I played a game, and the guy deep struck a captain and five terminators with storm shields and thunder hammers. So there's a lot of points sitting there, and he deep struck them all the way on the far left side. I mean, literally against the side table edge, like mm. that far. And I'm like, that that's such a waste. Like, why yeah. why didn't you... Consider them useless. Basically. And what I proceeded to do with my Tomb Blades is run away. <laughs> so, uh, so what he ended up doing is once he took that far left objective, there was three down the center. He took him like a turn and a half to get to the center of the board by moving and running and all that. So it's just... Like, if he would have just put them between, closer to the center of the board, he he would have had either option. He could go either way. Yeah. And it's also harder to run away from someone if they're in the middle of everything versus just on one side. So, um, now, something else that you had mentioned before. Uh, what about the good old pincer attack? You know, you've got your army on one side. Yeah, deep strike behind them. Deep or, strike behind them. Or deep strike in front of them. Put one deep strike in front, one deep strike behind. Yep. Squeeze them. And I mean, generally speaking, most things move six inches roughly, unless they move more. So when you're when you're trying to, like, you, you've said before in another episode, I remember you saying you got to corner them when you're deep striking. You know, you can't, yeah. don't give them room to run away. You want to corner them, like, between a building and something, or between another unit, or whatever. And um, you got to try to get in there, because otherwise it's too easy to run away. Now, of course, if you're deep striking like raptors or something that move 12 inches, sure, that's easy to catch up with them. You yeah, know? yeah. But usually when we deep strike stuff, I always think of Terminators because that's the common thing. Yeah, yeah. Whether it be, what, Deathwing or Paladins or whatever. Yeah, but now pretty much every codex has a unit that can either deep strike or a stratagem that allows them to deep strike. Yeah, I'm trying to think of Necrons, though. I can't think of anything from Necrons. Uh, I think it's well. It's kind of it's kind of deep strike, but it's kind of like an emergency disembarkation. There's this emergency the evasion beam or whatever. Yeah, yeah, invasion beam. Um, yeah, that's kind of true. Um, oh, you know what? Veil of Darkness. Oh yeah, yeah. There so you go. you're right. Every every army does have its own. Does a uh, Admech? Uh. Yeah, the, it's a stratagem for one of the dogmas. I forget which one. Huh. So, um, I'm glad that that's more prevalent than it used to be. Some armies just didn't do it at all, or at least it seemed that way. You know, so at least now we do have deep striking among all pretty much all the armies. 
Um, so of course, if you're going to de- deploy, if you're going to deep strike, you want to deep strike as soon as possible, probably, unless you're trying to wait out for an objective. And you want to be as close to the center of two options as possible. And preferably, like we said, you want the pincer attack so that you can get two or more units around this unit to like pin them down and tackle them sort of thing. Um, don't let them run away. Now, do you like this new type of deep striking compared to the way it used to be with the scatter dice and all that? Uh, I think both of them have their uh, weaknesses and and strengths. Uh-huh. Where last edition, it was you could deep strike like outside of an inch, whatever the yeah of the uh, enemy, and then you would have to roll your scatter dice. So if you hit it dead on, you're staying where you are. Yeah, but. Scatter dice has arrows on it that point you in a direction, and uh, you roll two d six, and then you have to move that many inches in that direction. Well, uh, you could run into, you could scatter into the enemy, you could scatter into terrain, mm-hmm. and there's a potential to lose that entire unit on a roll of a one. Yeah, or it was a two. That the uh, opponent could place them? Yeah, and you know what we were just talking about? Placing them, don't place them in the corner of the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. What is the first thing every <laughs> opponent would do? Yeah, put them in your in your deployment zone all the way in the back there. <laughs> hey, you terminators, you're trying to deep strike? Yeah, they move five inches? Yeah, fuck you. They're going in the back. They're essentially zone. destroyed. Yes. Yep, that was great. Um, but now this edition, it, there's no scatter, but you have to stay nine inches away from enemy... So, uh, there is a chance of the enemy, you know, spreading out and keeping you from going in their deployment zone, uh, or getting close to your, or getting close to their deployment zone. Cause like if they had the first turn, mm-hmm. you know, they could spread out and pretty much make you deep strike closer to your deployment zone than, yeah. than theirs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think now personally? I know competitive competitively, there was a lot of shenanigans with first turn deep striking, but personally, I never had an issue with it. I didn't see. I actually kind of liked that the game got going faster. Yes, you know because remember old deep striking, starting on turn two, it was what a four up for a unit to come in. Um. Yes. And then that turn, was sixth edition. Oh, was it sixth edition? Seventh edition. It was just a straight three for every turn. Oh, oh, I'm thinking of 6th edition. Man, I'm old. Okay. So, yeah. So, turn 2 was a 4-up to come in. Turn 3, it was a 3-up to come in. And they would auto-come in on turn 4. And 7th edition, I forgot. It was just a straight 3-up, and they auto-came in on turn 4. Yeah. And now, they have to come in turn 2 or 3. I've... Besides the most grievous circumstances, I really don't think that the turn 1 deep strike was that big of a deal in personal experience. I think that you should still be able to come in on turn one, but there's like like minus one to hit or something like that, or some kind of uh, detriment to yeah. doing it, negative to do it, because you know the alpha strike. There's certain things that could just annihilate other things. You know, like when someone takes obliterators and deep strikes them down, or nine obliterators, nine, nine <laughs> obliterators. Um, yeah. And, you know, they just annihilate a unit or, you know, multiple units in the first turn. What if it was just one unit? 
You can deep strike one unit on the first turn, and then the rest of them come in to turn two or three. I mean... Yeah, you could do that, too. I just... I don't know. I liked, you know, even playing, like, against the Grey Knights player in our group, where he loved to deep strike everything, I didn't have a problem with it. Like, yeah. I was like, all right, fine, deep strike everything, because, you know, you got the whole nine inch, now it would be different if you could deep strike turning, starting turn one, and you had the scatter dice, where if he rolled well, he would be right in your face turn one. Yeah. You know? But the nine inches, I mean, you got to get a nine inch charge. That's not super easy to do. You got a 75% chance of not making it. Yeah. So now, of course, if they're deep striking five units, one of them's bound to get in. But and I know that happened, but I never really saw it that much. You know, the the Grey Knights player in our group would deep strike two or three units and it wasn't that big of a deal, really. But now what about some people turn deep striking on their head like Molochs can get within nine, right? They can't. They just can't assault. No, Molochs can get within an inch. Within an inch. Yeah, because they have a, a, a mortal wound thing they do. Yes. So that's kind of cool. I mean, he doesn't shoot, and then he can't assault afterwards. Right. But if they're within an inch, aren't they in combat then? But he didn't charge. Um, maybe may be like outside of an, outside of an inch, inch or something like that. But they can get close. Yeah, which is nice. And something, I own several Molochs. I've never done this because I don't think Molochs are that great of a unit, honestly. Uh-huh. I like the Trigun Prime a lot better. But um, if you took, you were talking about the shield wall of uh, drop pods. Yeah, the drop, that whole thing is back now. Yeah, so what if you did that with... Um, Wait, well, as long as this episode, you know, or um, as we record this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, well, we'll get into the drop pods in just a second, but um, the Molochs, if you did like three Molochs, deep strike them all like in a row. Yeah. And of course you could mortal wound, you know, pretty good one unit, but also you are literally in their face right now, three Molochs, and they have to deal with that. And of course, like I said, I don't think Molochs are terribly good. They're like weapon skill four or something stupid, and they're, they're not. No, they're really just meant for that. Terror from the Deep. And that's not even that good. Is it D3 or D6 Mortals? It's uh, not that much. I don't remember. I can't really say. It's not that great. Well, I think the one time I played here with you, it did something, something well with it. And I was like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. At least we have dice rerolls. So the D3 or D6 Mortals or whatever it is, you could reroll it if you got a one. Yeah. You know? That's one thing I miss out of Age of Sigmar. It's like Age of Sigmar, they don't have that single dice roll command stratagem. You know, I really wish they did. They don't have that. So sometimes that 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 clutch roll, you know. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about drop pods for a second. Drop pods. Um. Originally, they said that the doors were not part of the hall. Correct. So you could walk over them. They basically didn't exist. Then in 8th edition, I think from the beginning, didn't they say it was part of it? Or did they start out saying it wasn't? 8th edition? 8th edition. Uh, I guess, I guess that they started saying... No, it was 7th edition, they, they said that it was part of the uh, model. Okay. And then they quickly changed it back. Because they realized the folly of their ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now, I think in 8th, 8th edition, when it started, uh, it said that it was just well i don't know if they actually had a rolling or not but the recent faq came out saying that the doors are part of, are actually um 
part of the hall. Part of the hall. Part so. of the model. So originally they weren't part of it, and then they were, and then they weren't, and now they are currently. Yes. And I just whatever. But you know we were talking about this off the air, and drop pods almost don't have a place anymore. No, not really, because the stuff that you want to deep strike already had the deep strike special rule. Yeah. And drop pods. I mean, it's kind of nice to drop them on a uh, on an objective. To just sit there. Right. Now, they're not obsec or anything, but at least that's something to sit there. You have to remove, you know? Yes. Um, honestly, I think they could do a points drop probably on them. I haven't seen them recently. I have one for my Celestial Lions. I think it's 80 points or something. I th- I don't know. But see, okay, so a Rhino is roughly 80 points. Roughly. 100 points, whatever. And a Rhino is has so much more uses than a drop pod. Because not only does it carry people like a drop pod, you can go wherever you want, and if you make a dis- if you turn right and you shouldn't have you turn around and you go left like there's that versatility of it can go wherever it wants and then it could unload its payload just like a drop pod but then it can move around and like we said before charge people with your rhino tie them up tie up vehicles and things like that if you've got that leftover yeah you know um remember we were talking about when something's got like one hit point left yeah yeah (laughs) um that's what rhinos and transports the way i use them always is First turn, they are deployed as far forward as possible, and inside, they have a unit that desperately wants to get close to the enemy. And on the first turn, they move their 12 inches, and they advance 6 inches, they try to find cover if they can, and then if you blow me up, whatever, but all those ablative wounds on my unit, being uh, toughness 7, and what, 10 wounds, or whatever Rhino is, 12, 10? I think it's, yeah, somewhere between there. I think it's 10. Um, those are all just ablative wounds that I paid for the unit, essentially. And you can't kill anything until you pop it. And now it's 18 inches ahead, potentially, versus only 12 inches ahead if I didn't have the Rhino. And then if you don't pop it, then I'll go assault you with the Rhino to tie up your Lehman Russ or whatever, you know? Yep. Um, meanwhile, the drop pod came down, threw up all of its people, and just sits there. Oh, it's like, got a uh, storm bolter oh, or uh, whatever. There's some missile launcher, stupid thing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't do anything. Uh, so anyway, uh, drop pods are an interesting idea, but unfortunately, they need something. They need some. Like back to what I said, if you could deep strike one unit on the first turn, okay. Well, drop pod has a purpose then. Yes. Take something, put it in there, drop it first turn, and you know that's tried and true rule of drop pods was deep striking on the first turn that was their special thing yeah so um so i think we've pretty much covered everything for deep striking um the tactics behind it where we think it is now um do you have any do you have anything else to add um yes or no do you think drop podding i mean uh deep striking is generally a good thing to do when you have the option, do you do it or no? Yes. Hmm. I'm actually on the other side of that fence. I generally don't deep strike. Um, but you think, like you said, psychological aspect of it and all that, it gives you an option for later in the game and all that. Um, Usually if I if I take a unit that has the deep strike special rule, I deep strike with them. Okay, that and, makes sense. And if I take multiples, I usually deep strike with one of them. The other one, I'll probably just sit off to the side. or Well, put on the board, I should say. I guess you're right. I often will deep strike something if it has that role. 
um, if I take it, but I often don't. I never rely on deep striking. Like it's never really part of my strategy. Usually, it's like a last minute thing during deployment, where I'm like, okay, this unit has it. Okay, I'll I'll deep strike it because I'm seeing what the other person has. I'm seeing how they're deploying, and then I'm like, okay. I'll deep strike. Yeah. But for me, it's never part of like the list building of going, okay, I'm going to deep strike these guys with the exception of either scourges with a bunch of blasters and stuff uh-huh. or my military tempestus, which always go on suicide runs, five man suicide runs with two plasma guns and a plasma pistol. Yeah. Like that's, that can do something. Oh, um, uh, deep striking. We want to take, uh, like large squads or something like that. Like whenever I deep strike my witches, I deep strike all, a full squad of twenty of them. Uh huh. Um, because you know they're getting shot up. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, you know, Terminators, five man Terminator squad. They're they're okay. They're, they're okay durable. to do it small, but like you know, if they're weak, like witches, then yeah, you want to do a full squad of them. Or if you're doing, like, the jump for orcs. Yeah. You're not going to take that 10-man squad. You're going to take that 30-man squad yeah, of orcs. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of times. Um, but then again, I guess it's just one of those things that actually falls in the category of how big of units do you take for each... I mean, how many models in each unit do you take? Of course, boys and things that are pretty expendable, you're going to want to max out that unit. But Terminators, like you said, 10 Terminators? That seems almost like overkill. Yeah. You know, like for the points, I'd rather have two five-man Terminator squads than one ten. Yeah, and also that's uh, that's less board space. Uh, you know, if you're going in their backfield, uh-huh. you're they're, you're more than likely not going to get enough room. Yes, that's yeah, less space to put all ten down. That's true. And then probably a captain, you're going to deep strike with them as well. And of course, you can always pincer. With two squads versus just one. So, yeah. Um, you know, I've never, and this is actually an interesting idea, although super, super circumstantial. You could technically pincer with one unit. If you took your, was it 20 witches? Yeah. Spread them out in a nine inch bubble, yeah. like around the unit, and like there's nowhere to go. That would actually be pretty cool. Although, then you got to worry about all the other units on the board not being nine inches from them. So, it's, it's pretty situational. Yes. But, uh, you know, like I said about deep striking, it's not usually part of my plan. Um, when you're talking about raptors or you're talking about assault marines or things like that that can deep strike, but they also move really fast. Um, I don't really see, unless we can deep strike on turn one, which currently we can't. I don't really see a point to ever deep strike raptors or big units of raptors or um, assault marines because... If I ever use them, I want them to get in, f- in the face of the enemy. So on turn one, just like my Rhino, I'm going to deploy them as close to the edge of my deployment as possible. Then, which means that typically I'll be two feet from you. Two feet from your deployment zone, right? Uh-huh. So then I'm going to move and advance, trying to find cover. That's potentially 18 inches of, of movement. And then on the beginning of turn two, when normally I'm going to be deep striking anyway... I've got another 12 inches plus a 12 inch charge. And a lot of times, not only does it give me a chance to correct my path, if I, if I don't, like, all of a sudden it becomes more fav- favorable to go right than left, then I can make that choice. Versus deep striking, one whole turn, boom, you're right here. And if you fail your charge, which you're likely to, then you're just sitting there. But, so the two options would be wait until turn two, deep strike them nine inches from an enemy, and hope to roll a nine or higher. 
Or I move in advance turn one, move again on turn two, and I'm probably closer than nine inches from something. Unless, of course, you're terrified and you're not moving forward at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're just, or you're towel. Yeah. Um, Which I guess is the same thing. Yeah, basically. So, anyway, I think that's basically it for Deep Striking. So, thanks for being on, Mr. James. You're welcome.